Hey there, and good morning. This is Sean Light, and welcome to episode number 42 of the Sean Light Podcast. And today, the question still is, how can health and fitness professionals become true leaders in this industry while creating incredible financial success? That is the question, and this podcast is going to give you the answers. Guys, this is episode 42. I'm sitting here. I'm putting this. I'm getting um, I hit a new episode. I start recording. And I'm like, damn. Like, we're, we're on 42 episodes, man. We're freaking 42 episodes deep. I, I love it. I'm, I'm absolutely loving this. It's like a nice creative outlet for me. It's a great part of my routine. One of the things. And I'm interested. I, I really am curious as to, and I feel like my my pitch was just going up there like so one of the things that i'm starting to do is i uh like i'm just starting to get myself like in the zone and i'm getting like hyped before uh, my day and like now i'm like i'm I'm here and I feel like my mind's going a million miles an hour because I just got hyped. I just listened to like badass techno. Uh, I was literally jumping up and down in my bedroom, fist pumping with headphones in my ears, singing out loud. My brother, who I live with, was probably uh, very concerned for my well-being, <laughs> well-being at this point. But I'm hyped. I've never felt better. And now I'm recording a podcast. So hopefully you can feel, you can literally feel the energy going right through my microphone that's connected to this wire that's connected to an adapter that's connected to my laptop that is connected uh, somehow through the the waves of the world uh, to your phone to your device and then out through your speaker through your headphones whatever you're listening to hopefully you can actually feel the energy that I'm putting out right now so and I think you can I think I believe I believe in that stuff so uh, you know hopefully hopefully uh, Hopefully it's working. Now today, what I wanted to, wanted to talk to you about was uh, I will be filming a I will be filming a piece for my good friend Nick Lamb uh, on neurology with respect to recovery. Uh, and before I film that, uh, and I've put put my notes together, uh, and you know I I know what I'm going to talk about here. I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update, and uh, I wanted to give you guys an insight of what I believe to be. Uh, the importance of neurology in our world and and with respect to recovery, which is what what we'll be talking about in this in this uh, presentation. So the way the way that I ended up stumbling upon neurology as being important was because for starters, I got my first job with the Diamondbacks. And I thought that I literally thought I knew everything I needed to know about becoming a strength coach. I 100% thought it was CrossFit status, mental toughness, yell and scream, push everybody. Uh, and the more effort, the more volume that you can get somebody to do, the better they're going to be. Uh, and obviously, that couldn't have been further from the truth. It is way different than that. It is not even close to the way that things work. Uh, and I'm glad that I figured that out. But that's what I thought in the beginning. So I get out to Arizona and I'm working with professional athletes from for the first time in my career and in the minor leagues there's 180 of them there's maybe 50 guys up in the 50 guys up in the big league big league camp for spring training and you know we see we're genuinely working with the best baseball players on the planet you know best I'm truly the best athletes on the planet you know and I saw the same thing when I worked in the NBA and what was really interesting to me was that it was a really laid back strength and conditioning environment it was very much a give and take with the athletes and you know of course the older you were the more the more you were giving or the more you were taking and the less you were giving uh the very young guys we were pretty much giving all of it uh but 
Uh, and in the NBA, it was it was seriously a mutual relationship where you know we were really working together with everybody to decide what was what was going to be the best path for each person. We had fifteen people on a roster, multiple strength coaches, so you know each person was was receiving an individualized program every single day. I mean that's that's what you're paid to do. That's the job at that level. I know that can be challenging for a strength coach, but uh, that's that's the NBA. That's what you're there for. So, uh, and that's the same thing in the big leagues. Like they expect with that kind of money on the line, they expect each person to be delivered a, an individualized program. Uh, but what's so interesting to me was that I would sit here and I would listen to, uh, a, you know, a 19, 20 year old kid from the Dominican Republic who, you know, didn't even graduate high school, uh, tell me about what is best for his strength and conditioning program. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, from time to time, I'd be like, dude, like you have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, but I was usually pretty, you know, forgiving and, and wanting to have that relationship. And, and, you know, I wanted to uh, get along well with everybody and, and be able to be somebody of influence. And I think building relationships was really important. That's what my, my, uh, the, my superiors, the people, my colleagues, the people who had more experience than I, uh, they were all preaching that at that level was the building relationships. So I, I, you know, I made sure that that was a priority for me. So, but, but as I went, you know, I realized that the strength and conditioning program, albeit I thought was good, was significantly different than uh, I had ever anticipated it being. And certainly different than what most people anticipated a strength and conditioning program would be. And I remember would tell people and everybody would be shocked at what was actually happening inside of the weight room. They would be shocked at uh, just kind of how easy it was. I think a lot of the people that are listening right now would be really shocked uh, at how difficult, I'm sorry, at how simple and uh, not difficult these these workouts were. I, there's probably people listening right now whose warm-up is harder than, than an NBA player's full full workout and and looking at that and then you know wondering if it was just exclusive to my teams and then seeing it from you know one of the cool things about working out or being a strength coach at those levels is that you actually you know in the big leagues uh, at the the other team will just come into your weight room at the end of the game and get some workouts in and you'll be in there with uh, albert pujols and uh, Buster Posey and guys like that. I mean, and it was it was really cool. But you get to see what it's like uh, across the league. And, and and I certainly worked a ton of big league games when I was there. And and I saw a lot of teams come in. And, and I mean, that's that what was ha- that's what was happening. Uh, when I worked in the NBA, we had the the other team would come in and lift in the uh, home team's weight room. Assuming there was no visiting team weight rooms, which some teams had. Uh, funny story: the Oklahoma City Thunder have the visiting team weight room put in a locker room shower. So there's literally like a squat rack and a cable column and a big open shower, uh, and you got NBA players in there before a game uh, lifting in a shower. It's it's uh, it's really interesting. Uh, and and actually, ironically, and I don't think this was a coincidence, they put him right next door. This shower's right next door to the Oklahoma City Thunder's cheerleading squad's dressing room. Uh, so the distractions uh, are are everywhere in OKC. Uh, but, uh, you know, if they didn't have, if they didn't have the uh, visiting team weight room, which in L.A. at Staples Center, we did not. So we had one team, we had one weight room that was in the arena and the v- visiting team would come in and lift. Uh, they'd bring guys in periodically and we would see the lifts that they would do. And they're all the same, right? So I was starting to realize that I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, Man, like, why is it so different? Why, why are so many of these guys not doing what I would have ever thought to be the 
the you know these intense workouts that these guys were doing also uh why are they why does it all you know why do they do exercises and why are they committed how can somebody who's committed to uh you know being a great basketball player and and their workouts are just kind of like like blah and and they're and you know the exercises that they do you know most strength coaches would say are stupid if you if you can if you google lebron james squat we're all going to look at it and we're going to be like, holy shit, that is the worst squat I have ever freaking seen. Uh, and it, it is. It's, it's not good. It's not pretty. Uh, but on, for some reason, like he it works for him. It, he it is he turned him into a great basketball. Player. Now you could say he's he's uh, winning despite his program, uh, you know, or, you know, I hear people say that all the time. But, you know, I, it made me it made me it made me look differently because. What, what I was asking myself was, as a strength coach, we're supposed to be making these guys better. I spent all this time, all this money trying to make myself a better strength coach to learn more, to be able to use more inside of a weight room. And I don't really get to use any of that for the most elite athletes on the planet. Uh, and all the guys that I do use that for are getting cut and released and are, you know, are are gone in a few, in a, in a couple days. So why is it that all the players that buy into my program are released and the people that don't buy into my program are the superstars and the people that everybody's heard of, you know, like what's the deal with that? What gives? And because as a strength coach, I want to do a good job and I want to figure this out. Uh, and, and it really started leading me down the road of neurology and understanding that the neurology of, of an athlete, uh, is incredibly important. It is not normal for somebody to stand on a free throw line in Madison Square Garden and calmly sink two free throws. That's not normal. That's what a not not that is not what a normal person is capable of doing. That is very much abnormal. A normal a normal neurology uh, is a brain that gets nervous in that situation. That's a person whose uh, body clams up, stiffens up. And what, what ultimately happens when that occurs is your performances decrease. You lose a lot of your abilities to uh, perform, to be explosive, to be a good athlete. I, you know, you might be really good in the backyard when nobody's watching, but in front of 20,000, things change. Well, things can't change in the NBA. You have to maintain your ability to do things like that. And it really started re making me understand that the reason that these people are the way that they are is, of course, they're genetic freaks. Of course, they've you know put a little effort into their strength and conditioning. But more so than anything else is it's that their neurology has allowed them to become the person that they are. Uh, it allows them to continue to be abnormal uh, and function at a high level with a great deal of pressure on them uh, and not have these reactions, these neurological, these bodily global reactions that will limit their performance. We see that frequently in the big leagues uh, where a pitcher won't be able to uh gets the quote-unquote yips and he can't he can no longer he can no longer throw it over the throw it over the plate he's you know some some pitchers like can't even throw a baseball they'll just have to stop throwing altogether uh go to youtube and type in chuck hayes free throw this is an old houston rockets player who had the absolute yips shooting free throws, and it looked like he was having a seizure when he was shooting a free throw. I'm not joking. Uh, it's the most ridiculous form ever, but it's these people who get nervous and stop functioning at a high level, and that's the stuff that we really have to understand. And uh, what I realized was and started began to appreciate was just how effective and impactful the neurology was in their careers and in their performance. So I never wanted to take that away. I, you know, at this point in my career, I'm constantly looking at these strength coaches who are, uh, 
trying to drive home a disciplinarian approach and following everything that I say. Uh, And that does not breed high-level performance, and that's a short-sighted view. And I don't know if it's because uh, you've never been exposed to high-level athletes or you're uh, have decided that you don't, you're not going to look that deep into it. I, I don't know what your rationale is, uh, but that is ultimately a huge, a huge uh, impact one way or the other on somebody's performance. So what I started realizing was that that was as big of an asset as that, I, that they could have. And if I take that away, I take everything away. I take away their ability to do anything. I have to be able, I have to maintain their ability to function at that high level neurologically. At the same time, as long as they're neurologically free, they're also going to be able to have a ton of recovery in their system. A a body that is not neurologically free, that is neurologically tense, is going to be a body that is not recovered. As long as there's threat in the system, the body doesn't feel that it's the appropriate time to recover, to rest and digest. So these people and these guys who can perform at that level, they also have the elite, they have an elite recovery they have an elite recovery system that allows them to recover better than everybody else. So I don't want to take that away from them. Certainly there are things from the strength and conditioning perspective that I want to add. Uh, I want to, I want to create resiliency. I want to create more performances and there's certainly strength and conditioning things that I can use to make that happen. However, I have to understand that nothing matters if that neurology is gone. So I have to find a way to get what I need while giving him the same exact process to make sure that the neurology stays put and he's still able to perform neurologically at that level. So that's what I'm going to be talking about during this presentation. I'm going to touch a little bit on the neocortex because the neocortex is how the the brain uh, categorizes uh, previous experiences. Allostasis will be the next thing that I touch on because allostasis is how the brain creates action, creates a response to the input that comes in. It's predictive physiology. So we're going to talk a little bit about both of those angles. Uh, and then we're going to, and then we're going to tie it all together with, with these athletes and everything, uh, you know, that I've seen at, at these levels. And what's interesting to me is that most strength and conditioning coaches, if you work with athletes, they're trying to get people to the highest level of sport. Now, if you look, think back to the way that I preach people to become better in their careers and in business is to look at the people who are doing what you want to do and then model that, right? You just become that person before uh, the result happens and then the result takes care of itself. Well, these, these people who are working, most strength and conditioning coaches are not looking at these high-level athletes uh, as to how they're currently training and not realizing that it's 100% or at least close to 100% of the people at the highest level train like this. Uh, They'll make up excuses for why they're right and the top athletes are wrong. And I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be any of you uh, who are listening to this podcast and that consume any of my material. I want you to do the things that drive actual results. That is how I got from literally zero in a journalism degree to MBA strength coach in in four years. Literally four years was because I was able to drive results that other people weren't able to drive because I was simply looking at the world objectively. My greatest strength and asset as a strength and conditioning coach is my ability to be objective about any situation that I'm in. I understand it. I look to see what works. I look to see what the truth is. And then I just execute on that plan and make sure that uh, that I'm doing the things that are driving results. It's the only thing that I care about. That's your job as a, as a performance coach. Uh, so really, that's what you should be doing anyway. So get that ego out of there. Get objective. 
an- objectively analyze what's going on, find out what actually drive results, find somebody who's doing what you're trying to create and model their behavior, figure it out, do it objectively. And when you're done with that, go to 4A Step, the 4A, or go to 4AStepUpChallenge.com and register for the 4A Step Up Challenge. Come on. Get in there. It's good. It's a free, it's an unbelievable event. Uh, we got four incredible speakers. Guys, I'm so pumped for it. Uh, and I know you guys are going to get a ton out of it. CEUs, I mean, how much more value can I give you? It's free, guys. So get in there, 4AStepUpChallenge.com. This was episode 42. Tomorrow will be episode 43 at 6 o'clock in the morning. Every day at 6 o'clock in the morning, we release a brand new episode of the Sean Light Podcast, 365 consecutive podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, have an excellent day.